This episode of Author Stories is brought to you by the Writing Mastery Academy. Founded by Jessica Brody, author of the best-selling plotting guide, Save the Cat Writes a Novel. The Writing Mastery Academy features online, on-demand writing courses, including the official Save the Cat Writes a Novel companion course, novel fast drafting, crafting dynamic characters, and productivity hacks for writers to name just a few, plus monthly live webinars on various writing topics. Go to jessicabrody.com slash hank to learn more and get your first month of unlimited access to all the content for just $6. That's right, just $6. jessicabrody.com slash hank. You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret White. Terry Brooks. Sheena Kamal. Matthew Quick. J.T. Ellison. Walt D. Williams. Brad Ford. Corey Doctorow. Brandon Sanders. Robin Mom. Ernest Klein. Jim Butcher. Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Peter Swanson back on the show with me today to talk about his brand new book, Every Vow You Break. Um, I'll tell you what, guys, when when I see that Peter has a new book coming out, and, and it's usually you know the the midst of the winter, uh, knowing that that the new book season is kicking off and that Peter has a new book out, it it you know, it helps me get through those doldrums of winter, knowing that good things are coming. And every vow you break is a must-have in your uh, reading pile for this year. And I know you guys are going to love it. Uh, welcome back to the show, Peter. Thanks for having me. Hank. Good to be back. Absolutely. Uh, so, Peter, we we were talking just before we started recording about you know how weird the past year has been and, and COVID and, and all of that stuff that we've all collectively come through. Um, I, I've gotten the chance to ask uh, several writers here recently kind of what this has meant for their creative process, because, you know, most writers, we, we spend a lot of time at home or in a home office and just by ourselves for the most part, especially when it's, you know, time to, to draft a book. Um, there's just not a lot of, uh, interaction with other folks, which, you know, during a global pandemic, you know, how could that be better? Um, but there's something weird that's kind of happened when the rest of the world is locked down too. And you know, that things are not going on outside your home the way it normally does. And it, it can have a sort of a psychological, effect on on you and and on your process of has this time affected you as a writer uh, have you noticed anything different uh about the way you go about what you do yeah a little um and it's funny i think i've had the two polar um swing the the two opposite swings of the of the writer reaction because because i talk to a lot of writers too and people are either getting more stuff done or are having trouble focusing at all. Um, for me, I've been through both this past year. Um, for whatever reason, early on, um, sort of last year for about three months, I just, I just got into a real focus and I got a ton of writing done. Um, 
you know, toward the end of uh, last winter and into spring. Um, and I thought, well, you know, this is this isn't really affecting me. Um, it's obviously it was concerning and I was worried about, you know, friends who'd lost jobs and and other situations. But I felt um, fortunate myself and the work was coming. And then for whatever reason, midsummer, <clears throat> I think I, I just started to um, maybe like a lot of people, I think the the continuing COVID news um the um unrest in the country around both the election and um black lives matter and just lots of political news i just started spending my day um i guess the word is doom scrolling but you know just sort of yes. going through twitter and and obsessively checking news stories every hour and i really got trapped in that mode of not being able to to escape into my fictional worlds, just being being way too distracted. Um, and that kind of lasted for a while. And I think a lot of people went through that. I think that's something we're all struggling with, whether or not there's big news happening, because, you know, this stuff's readily available. And I, I really believe that we actually don't need to, we don't need to know the news every hour. Um, right. You know, we probably don't need to know the news. <laughs> Maybe not at all. Um, we need to know a little bit of news. And um, in today's, you know, maybe maybe we need to know the news once during the day. You know, like we used to. We used to find out the news at uh, news hour. Right. Um, and now we have it every 15 minutes. We check our phones. And I, it's, it's wreaking a little bit of havoc, I think, with everyone's attention span. So, um, but, I, but I did crawl out of that. I, I just had to be a little more... Um, of, uh, you know, a taskmaster with myself and tell myself, you know, just put, put down all the, the social media stuff and just focus on, on writing a book or reading a book, you know, getting involved in worlds that are fictional and not happening right now in real time, um, which is good, good for everyone's, uh, well-being. Well, speaking of doom scrolling, um, I remember, uh, about a year ago, uh, a little past where we are now, a year ago, um, our state started releasing numbers every day of new infections, um, new deaths, and they had they had developed this really great website that that really broke down all the statistics and all of the data, and I, they released the new numbers about 10 a.m. every morning, and I remember sitting at my computer just hitting refresh over and over and over again waiting for the new doom numbers to come out and and i finally just had to go you know this is not healthy this is we we know that things are are not good right now um you know there, there are things that we can all do to to mitigate and, and to make things a little better and i i just had to focus on on that on on the things that i could do and not all of the things that i had absolutely no control over and that it's it it it's a weird mental thing that that goes on and it's a and it's a it's what's happening right now with everyone i mean we carry these little devices that um in some ways make our lives easier if if uh you're trying to find your way to a new address or something i mean or listen to the a new tune it's they're they're great things but they also just you know they're constant little news reminders in our pockets and distract us and you know who knows what it's um i mean i know it's changed my brain um somewhat i you know i wonder what's happening with younger generations that are just growing up with this stuff um but i you know i can't I, it's not all good it's uh it's too much 
Right. And, um, you know, we can, we should talk about other things besides this, but, but <laughs> we this, are, and I think most, and most people will agree that it's a, it's a double-edged sword, but, um, so I think it just means everyone's got to work a little harder. I think yeah. to um, get away from it. Well, and I know that every vow you break, um, you probably had this book completed um, before the pandemic hit. And I, I would imagine that you did some editing and things like that, maybe into the summer of last year. But but was was the story pretty much completed by this time? It was. I'm pretty. I'm usually on track to uh, have my next book done by the time my book is coming out so yes it was done this time last year so so this book has no reflection uh on the last year and and you know all of that and and it definitely i'll, I'll tell you what was a was a vacation for my mind reading this book because the, there's just no trace of it um <laughs> but you're do you think that these, uh, maybe not the pandemic per se, but some of the feelings of the pandemic, has that seeped into your next book that you're writing? Oh, that's interesting because I think it actually has. Although I, my next book that um, I'm sort of that I've completed and sort of in the process of editing um, has a kind of <laughs> pandemic gloom about it, but but no mention of the <laughs> pandemic. And I specifically um, said it pre-pandemic that the dates are mentioned. Um, and I, I, I've thought a lot about this is, do I want to, do I want to write a book? I'm a, you know, I'm a contemporary writer in the sense that the vast majority of my books happen now or, or the recent past. Um, I don't write historical fiction. Um, and I think everyone who writes contemporary fiction has to start thinking about this. Do you want to set your story in the time of pandemic? Um, are you just going to ignore it? Um, and is ignoring it weird because this is, um, you know, I'm trying to, there's nothing, there's been nothing like this in recent history. I mean, you think of world trade center, um, bombings was a huge event, but you, you're, it's easy enough not to mention the, that in a book um, because it doesn't necessarily come up, but the entire world has shut down and started wearing masks and people have stopped shaking hands. I mean, you know, you have scenes in books where people shake hands or people go to parties or half my books, pretty much all my books involve at least some strangers meeting at a bar shoulder to shoulder. Right. And when is that going to happen again? Um so, so do I just keep setting my books in 2015 or something like that? <laughs> or do I eventually um, do write a pandemic, you know, write something that mentions it? Or do I just ignore it? And I haven't, I, I don't have a decision. Well, and um, uh, a one night stand uh, factors really heavily into every value break. Um, what, what does that mean for these sorts of interactions? Well, you know, that that's that's a weird thing to even have to think about so much is now going to be strange i mean obviously yeah the one night stand is ridiculous but the, but just an actually a bachelorette party where a bunch of people are hanging out in a restaurant and doing shots at a bar i mean it, but i you know i think this is a i think we're gonna we live in a world now which is post-covid um, not yet post COVID we're sort of in the middle of it, but there's going to be post COVID and there's going to be before COVID. And the things I wonder about are, um, you know, will people go back to offices? Um, you know, I think what a lot of 
businesses are discovering is that a lot of people don't need to work in offices. They can work from home and do it just as well. Doesn't mean it's great, but um, you know, will people go back to offices? Um, will people go back to to crowded bars? I mean, you know, stand, standing next to a you know right up next to a stranger. Um, will people ever start shaking hands again? And when will that be? I mean, I you know. This, this is a big world altering event. Um, so I, you know, uh, and, and there is something fun. I mean, you, I'm sure you watch movies now. I mean, most movies you watch are pre pandemic and it's like, some of it just seems, you know, you're watching crowded parties and you're like, that's crazy. What are these people thinking? <laughs> Don't they know about germs? <laughs> oh man. So are you looking for software that helps you bring your novel to life? Novelize is a web-based writing app which allows you to access your work on any device with a browser and an internet connection, right from your desktop, laptop, tablet, or smartphone. Just get the novel written. Say goodbye to sticky notes. With our notebook on the side, you can keep track of all the important information you need to write your novel. We keep distractions to a minimum, help you track your progress, and encourage you to write more novels. You can even use the same notebook for your novels in a series. Outline, write, or organize your novel by switching between modes. You can write your outline notes while you're writing, and you can move scenes and chapters around anytime in the organize mode. Choose between the dark and light theme to help prevent eye strain so that you can stay immersed in your book. Novelize, the app for writers by writers. Authors. I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website. Developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates, PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20, or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting. And we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. This is a, a, enough pandemic talk. Um, let's let's get into um, what we're really here to talk about today. Your book last year, Eight Perfect Murders, um, was one of my favorite books of the year. And uh, 
I always love your books. You you really, um, you know, speak to my internal angst in 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 ways that uh, that very few authors can. I always love a, a new book uh, from you. Um, but eight perfect murders, uh, kind of it, it, to me, it, it seems like it let you play in a in a a playground on in a, in a sandbox that that where you got to just um really um pay homage to all of your influences or or you know things that that mattered have mattered deeply to you and all of your books so far you know from the girl with a clock for heart um through um you know before she knew him all the beautiful lies there definitely were hints of your influences in there. And it was almost like you said, okay, I'm going to write a book where I get to just lay it all bare. And you did that in eight perfect murders and uh, everyone needs to definitely go back and read that book if they haven't yet. Um, but writing that book, did that help you to, to kind of, um, uh, to say the things that you had always wanted to say, kind of clear the board and say, okay, now I'm going to, uh, I'm going to do something different from here. What did writing that book do for you and your creative process and the kinds of books that you write? I think you're right about, um, thinking about, of a book as like a playground. Um, and I definitely, as soon as I had the idea of a perfect murders, I, um, which is, uh, you know, uh, the main character has, has made a list of murders, um, from fiction, from classic crime fiction, made a list of his favorites and he's published these. And a few years later, it looks as though someone else might be using that list to, uh, actually kill people in real life. Um, so as soon as I knew I was doing this, I said, well, this is a book that's going to have to have, um, all those tropes. So it's right. going to have to have red herrings and suspects and clues and unreliable narrator and all this sort of classic mystery stuff. And I kind of threw it all into the pot. Um, and, you know, it was great. It, and, it, and it turned out for me to be the book um, that is in some ways closest. It's not an autobiographical book at all, because um, but it's it has autobiographical elements in the sense that a lot of it is about being a reader. And Malcolm talks a lot about being a reader. And when he talks about that, it's sort of me talking about that and how I began as, as a reader of genre fiction very young and found, you know, escape in these worlds of, of crime and mystery. Um, so it was great. It was great to do that. And um, it's it's funny. So. So my next book, so Every Value Break has a, a bit of a playground in it as well. One of the things I wanted to do after um, Eight Perfect Murders and actually after a bunch of crime thrillers that um, were fairly complex. And by complex, I mean, I often write um, mystery novels that have more than one perspective or more than one timeline. I mean, Eight Perfect Murders is sort of gives you several timelines unfolding at the same time. Um, I wanted to write what I think of as an Ira Levin thriller um, with every value break, which is to me a very linear, short thriller in which something, a premise happens and we follow one character and we learn what that character learns um, as a reader. We, we learn it at the exact same moment. And um, 
it's often a situation where an ordinary person, in this case, it's Abigail Baskin in Every Value Break. She's, um, she's had a one night stand on her bachelorette weekend. She's made a mistake, what she feels is a mistake. And um, she, she's hoping it won't come back to bite her, but it does because the guy she had, the stranger she had this fling with shows up at her honeymoon. And then things just start to roll from there and get weirder. Um, and I just wanted, you know, I wasn't going to do backstory. I wasn't going to switch to a new perspective. I wanted it just to be like a ride that you're on with this character. Um, and one of the reasons I wanted to do this type of book um, was naively, I think, I thought it might be a little bit simpler to write like that. Um, you know, I was like, I don't have to balance different timelines and all that. And it turns out that uh, structuring a, a mystery thriller is hard no matter what. Um, but but it was definitely, my inspiration for this book was the type of book that I wanted to write. And this was definitely a type of book I've always enjoyed um, and wanted to try my hand at. So, um what was the first idea that came to you for this book? What was it just the, the structure, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to tell this kind of story as opposed uh, to the eight perfect murders, um, that type of story, or was it the, the sort of what if question, you know, what, what if there's a character like Abigail who makes this mistake before she gets married, thinking that it'll, it's just something that she can bury in the past, but the past, you know, comes back and, and, and won't leave her alone. Um, what was the, that first moment of inspiration? Um, I mean, I think the inspiration was the type of story the the mistake story. And I, um, I think, you know, I, I've been thinking, I, I think I'd rewatched fatal attraction, which is of course, um, somewhat of an inspiration. Um, you know, the guy makes a mistake and then can't get rid of her. And, and that's a that's a sort of a linear thriller in the sense that you're just along this bumpy ride that this guy's on. Um, I so I had thought of, you know, it popped in my head, you know, a gender reversed fatal attraction. What if it's the woman on a bachelor weekend? And what if the guy um, stalks her? Because oftentimes these infidelity stories are, are around the man. Um, so I thought that would be interesting, but I don't think that was enough to hang the story on. So, um, and I can't really talk about it cause, um, it's a spoiler for th- sort of the second half of the book, but the book takes some twists and turns and winds up being a sort of slightly different type of story. And as soon as I thought of that and put those two together, I thought, well, now I have a book. Um, whereas the first one was, um, wasn't, you know, quite. Uh, just the infidelity story sounded more like a two-hour movie than a than a novel, and then I came up with sort of this this secondary idea and went with that. Um, and again, um, I was really excited to write um, this type of thriller, and and also um, I wanted to write a, a shorter thriller. I this is maybe we've talked about this in the past, but I think. I think sometimes um, we've lost the short thriller in our in our uh, book culture. If you go back to the mid-century, you know, mid-century mystery and thriller books, um, you know, Rosemary's Baby is 60,000 words. The first James Bond novel is 55,000 words. Um, Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None, uh, which in which she kills 10 people, is, I think, between, is like 58,000 words or something. And now every mystery seems like it has to be around 80,000 words. 
Um, but I like the idea of, of short thrillers that sort of take you on a, a quick, intense trip. So um, how much I, I know that in the beginning, you're you're thinking through the possibilities of what a, what the book can become. Um, but your books include so many twists and turns and and moments um, that keep me as a reader on, on the edge of my seat and, and guessing um, how much of those things do you think of ahead of time? How much planning goes into your books uh, before you begin the writing? Um, I do a lot of planning internally, um, just thinking and daydreaming about the book. I don't outline ever, so I don't ever set any of it down in writing because um, I, I feel like I, as soon as I do that, I'm sort of tr- committing um, to to plot turns and twists that I might not want to make when I get to them. So I do a lot of daydreaming, and um, and usually when I and when I sit down and start to write, um, I always have the premise and I have the characters. Um, I often have the end or the end that I would hope to get to, and then the middle is kind of a blank. And um, although I'm thinking about possibilities that might happen along the way. And I'm thinking about, um, you know, and as I start writing, you know, I do a lot, again, I do a lot of thinking about it. I lay in bed at night and sometimes I think, oh, what if that happened or whatever? And the next morning I'll wake up and think, well, that was a a terrible idea. Or I'll think, oh, that's interesting. And if it stays in my head, it stays in the book. Um, If it floats away from my head, then I figure it wasn't good enough. So I kind of use that approach and again, try not and, and don't outline, um, which is, I, I think how I write, how the best chance for me to write a good book is to use this method. Um, it's also a little bit terrifying because I often wind up halfway through a book and feeling <laughs> like I'm screwed, but you know, that's, that's the risk you take. But you, you you kind of need to feel terrified every now and then when you're writing uh, because that that definitely bleeds through on the page. I think so, and I also think that sometimes if you paint yourself a little bit into a corner, narratively, um, if your way out might be the best part of the book. So so two things happen: you don't find a way out, and your book sinks, um, or you come up with a way out, and then your book starts to fly. Um, sometimes that, you know, you get creative when you're, when you're trapped. Um, again, it's scary, but I do think, I do think it's a good mode to be in as a writer. And I, and I say that knowing that there are tons of great writers out there who meticulously outline and come up with a great book. I'm just thinking for me that that method doesn't work. Well, speaking of changes that have happened in uh, in the genre over the years, and, and you talked about how um, the genre uh, the books have grown and uh, plots have become more intricate. Um, but another thing is um, the rise of the um, the series character, and there are a lot of thrillers with. Uh, with a, a series character that you can expect from one book to the next is, is, is going to show up and is going to drive the story. And there's a, some world building that's already been done and it's a familiar thing. Um, but the other side of that is 
um, you know that this series character is not going to die. Um, yeah. You know that that maybe some bad things are going to happen to him or her, um, but but only to a certain point. Um, you can't just brutally torture a series character. Um, maybe some tertiary characters, um, you know, possibly may meet their demise. Um, but there's a there's a certain safety that comes in knowing that Jack Reacher is always going to be in the next Jack Reacher book. Yep. Um, you don't write those. You write standalones and, um, you know, that there, there are no expectations when I open a Peter Swanson book because I know anything can happen to anybody at any time. Um, is that something that you ever think about? W- would it be easy for you to, to have a character that you say, you know, I'd like to take her, to another book and then maybe another uh, or, or is that something that you even think about i think about it a little bit um I, it is nice in the sense that your world building is sort of done done ahead of time um and it would be nice to get into that but but you're right i love um i love the freedom of the standalone that you can do anything to your characters um and I, you know, I, I like to read them, but you know, I, I like series characters as well. Um, I think I would, you know, maybe, maybe one day I would try my hand at a series. Um, I've had some ideas about a character I might want to spend that much time with, um, and what they might be like, but I'm not there yet. And, um, I'm pretty happy with the standalone model right now, so I'm not going to mess with it, but, um, I've definitely thought about it. Um, it might be for me, I'm trying to think, maybe not a traditional detective story. I, I think of Patricia Highsmith wrote five uh, Ripley novels, Tom Ripley. Um, and, uh, you know, he was a killer um, and he's the protagonist. So that's sort of unique. Um, and maybe I would try something along those lines. Um, but, but you know, one day maybe. But uh, right now I'm pretty happy where I'm what i'm doing when i was reading every vow you break um i got to to thinking about the the structure of the book and and got to thinking about some of your previous books and um there's a a certain pace um that that i've come to expect from one of your books and um i'm gonna read several chapters in um you know a certain percentage and um, I, I'm going to to meet the characters. I'm going to learn more about them, and I'm going to settle into um, a comfortable relationship with these characters of what I think that I know about these characters. And then at some point in the book, you're going to completely flip the script, and everything that I thought I knew about them is not going to uh, bear out. And then I'm going to start questioning everybody and and um, uh, you know, and and the mysteries are just going to pile on and pile on. Um, it, is this something that you think about in writing the the pace of the book and and how long you're going to give me to um, to become comfortable with the characters before you start flipping things around? I mean, how how important is the pacing of the book? I mean, pacing is huge. In um, well, we'll talk genre first. I mean, in mystery. Uh, pacing is huge and pacing is is not just it's not just action it's not just how much is happening in each chapter it's also about how much is being revealed in each chapter so 
so much about mystery plotting is revealing um, information. So you really need to think about how you're parceling that out. Um, I do think about this a lot, and I think about it a lot, oddly enough, when I read, and I read a lot of mystery novels, and sometimes I think, you know, I'm reading something and I'm like, they're giving you, there's too much is happening too early on. Um, Because you can go both ways. You can go too slow and you can go too fast. Um, I don't have a magic... Again, I don't outline, so I'm not thinking, you know, you, I, I'm not thinking you need to have a reveal at the end of every chapter. Um, how often do you have your reveals? Personally, I like, I, I don't mind a, a slow burn thriller. Um, yeah. I know that um, my agents and editors think I can slow burn a little too much sometimes. Um, I, I could go more. I mean, there are... Um, there are a lot. There are examples of books that I like that are um, almost, you know, they they sort of build and build and build and build, and you're like, when's something major going to happen? And sometimes the payoff on those is huge, um, but it's a it's a tricky little game you're playing. Um, I try not to think too much about the reader. I try to think, you know, about a natural story progression, and also when I I feel like is the right moment, and hopefully that will work. But it's huge. I mean, pacing is huge. It's um. You, you got to think about it um, when you're writing a thriller. And uh, I believe you should probably think about it when you're writing any kind of fiction because, um, you know, you've got readers um, who are waiting for stuff to happen. And, um, you know, you they, they can only listen to you drone on so long. <laughs> well, the book is obviously about abigail and bruce and their relationship and the 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 subterfuge and and what that you know ultimately means um but there's some really great side characters in the book and i'm thinking specifically about abigail's parents and and they're related they have an interesting relationship and theirs is not perfect and um and and what their relationship means to Abigail and uh, how important are these the other characters uh, in the book that are not necessarily what the story is about, but add character and add flavor to the story. And, uh, you know, when do you start thinking about bringing these other characters in what they can do for the narrative? Well, it's interesting. Um, so Abigail is a slightly and. Um, I'm not giving away too much because I think you get this sense pretty on in the book that um, <coughs> I, again, I'm writing more of a linear thriller. Abigail is the protagonist, whether, whether you love her or not, doesn't matter. Right. She's, she's, you're pretty, you're pretty, um, you know, pretty fast that she is just an ordinary person and that things are happening to her. Um, and there's not going to be a massive switcheroo on that. So those are hard characters to write. They're just to write everyday people um, as opposed to sometimes I'm writing a complex person who has double life or um, dark thoughts or whatever. I'm, so for Abigail, I was writing, um, I think, an every woman. Um, and those are tough to put on page because how do you make them interesting? And I had a tough time with her figuring out who she was because she doesn't even know exactly you know she's in her 20s she's had a few relationships she's not she might want to be a writer she's probably like a lot of people but how do i make her pop off the page and i think 
um, at one point I, um, I started to think, you know, one of the things that defines her is she's the only child of, of parents that are separating, but, but parents that are actually both really strong and good people, which is unusual for me, um, that I gave her essentially a good childhood and <laughs> strong relationships with her parents. And I, the, so the more I went into the book and the more I thought about Abigail, I thought, this is, this is who she is. She's, she's young. She's sort of flown the coop, but she has this strong relationship with her parents. And at the point in the book, there's a point at which she's, um, she's scared about surviving. And I thought the touchstone for her is her parents. Um, you know, cause she's, she's not, she's not that old. So as soon as I identified that, I really beefed up the parents and thought a lot about them and what they were like and their, um, you know, just to give your uh, listeners a little context, they they're, um, they run a theater, a regional theater out in Western Massachusetts. They've run this business together. And she's grown up as an only child in this sort of theatrical world. And they're both kind of creative people, but um, they also run a business. And, um, you know, she gets a, her dad is sort of bookish and dreamy and her mom's kind of practical. Um, and, uh, you know, I I built them up more than I normally would parents because I think of how important they were to her. And that's sort of how I got to the heart of her character. Well, the book, every vow you break is available everywhere today. When you're hearing this, uh, you can grab your copy in hardcover or Kindle edition. If you prefer to read on your Kindle or like, I love to, uh, to consume books as audio books. And, uh, I, I just know that the audio of this is going to be amazing. I, I'm probably going to pick it up this week and listen to it again. Um, how much input do you get on on the audio book um, uh, translation of the book, Peter? I usually get sent. Um, it's funny. So they send me three or four um, potentials. Um, so they say we, you know, we've we've narrowed it down to these three narrators. In this case, it was all women, which made sense. Um, and I, and I listened to a sample of them, not reading my book, but reading another book. Um, and then I, um, and then I rank, they asked me to rank, um, from my pro from number one to, you know, and I don't, the number one doesn't always happen. I, usually there's one who just, instantly i'm like eh, no i don't that doesn't feel right to me yeah, um, yeah and then usually there's a one in the middle and then usually there's a couple that sound good you know sometimes i'm like oh that's the one um but you know there's a lot of really great audiobook narrators out there oh yeah a good industry and um i feel like uh the woman it's carissa backer who's doing every value break and uh, she's, she's, I haven't, I've listened to a, a segment. I haven't listened to the whole thing. I never listened to the whole thing, actually. Um, and it's, uh, but she's terrific. Well, she's narrated some really great books. Um, looking over her, um, her catalog, um, I, I know she's going to turn in an amazing performance. Yeah. It's, it's going to be great. So the book is available everywhere. There's going to be links to it in the show notes of this episode. Um, Peter, tell people where they can find you online if they want to dig into all the amazing stuff that you do. The best thing is to do is to go to my website, which is peter-swanson.com. 
Um, and from there, you can get links for Twitter, um, Facebook, Instagram. I think those are the big three. And there's, you know, some nice uh, extra material on my website as well. And we'll put links to all those in the show notes as well. Um, Peter, always a pleasure uh, to get to catch up and uh, and to read your your new book uh, that's that's out uh, around this time every year. Every vow you break is uh, is an amazing book. We uh, wholeheartedly put our stamp of approval on it, and uh, we're going to send everyone to pick up their copy. Um, Peter, thank you so much for taking time to come back on the show. Thanks, Hank. Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no farther than Pico's House. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing, or proofreading, Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com to get started. Dream Author by Sophie Hanna is an immersive 14-month coaching program for writers at any and every level of experience, and also for those of you who want to write and are just waiting for the right encouragement and guidance to get you started. Your writing dreams should make you happy. For so many of us, our dreams are not a source of happiness. Instead, they cause us stress, guilt, frustration, and even shame. Here's the great news. All of these feelings are natural and all writers experience them. The problem, though, is that when your writing dreams bring you more anxiety than joy, it affects your resolve and your productivity, and you end up not taking the action you need to take in order to propel your dreams in the right direction so that they can stand a strong chance of coming true. That's why Sophie created the Dream Author Coaching Program to teach anyone who is passionate about writing how to change the way they build, think about, and pursue their writing dreams in order to become their own most powerful ally and advocate for the rest of their writing life. And more great news. Once you've learned that skill, it lasts forever. Visit dreamauthorcoaching.com to get started today. The Bad Company Complete Series Omnibus, Books 1 through 7. Humanity's Greatest Export, Justice. Space is a dangerous place, even for the wary, especially for the unprepared. The aliens have no idea. Here comes The Bad Company. The Bad Company, Book 1, Colonel Terry Henry Walton, takes his warriors into battle for a price in this first installment of The Bad Company. He believes in the moral high ground and is happy to get paid for his role in securing it. Set in the Cutharian Gambit universe, Terry, Char, and their people-humans, werewolves, were-tigers, and vampires form the core of the Bad Company's direct action branch, a private conflict solution enterprise. Join them as they fight their way across Tissakinan 4, where none of the warring parties were what they expected. The seven-book series Omnibus includes The Bad Company, Blockade, Price of Freedom, Liberation, Destroyer, Discovery, Overwhelming Force. Grab the complete Bad Company series by Craig Martell now. How to Be a Badass Witch by Michael Anderley. Virtutus Gloria Mercis. Translation, Glory is the Reward of Valor. 
fed up with playing the normal game, recent university graduate, ex-cum laude, ex-soccer star, ex-popular and mostly broke Cara Madano changes her life when she decides to research how to be a witch and believes it. Kara didn't want to go back east and deal with her overbearing mom, so when university was done, she stayed behind in Los Angeles. Little did she realize how controlling moms can be from the other side of the country. Feeling a little desperate to make her own way, she buys a few books on business and one on a lark, How to Be a Badass Witch. That's when the trouble started. Find out just what trouble a young woman can get into when the magic just might be real. How to Be a Badass Witch by Michael Andrews.